Good morning, everyone. It is really good to see you all. And also just to say, those of you who have come back home for the first time since we've opened, it is just so fantastic to see you all. Those of you who are joining us for the very first time, just welcome. We love it that you've chosen to be with us uh, here today. And to everyone that is joining us online, just also welcome to you. It's so fantastic. You know, some of the things that uh, have come out of this season that we're in is that we are all gathered here uh, in person, but there are people online uh, around the country. We know of multiple people from various places around the country and even abroad who are watching with us uh, this morning together. And that's just so incredible. And so welcome everyone around the world who is part of what we are doing here this morning, trusting that God is going to meet us, that God is going to speak to us. And so I just want to pray for us as we start. Father God, what a joy it is to be able to serve you, uh, to uh, be in relationship with you, and to be able to gather in your name. Oh God, we know the season has been tough, and we just thank you for your sustaining grace in our lives that allows us to still be here. And so, God, we ask that as we come to your word this morning, that you would be so gracious and speak to us in your precious name. Amen. So I don't know what it was like for you growing up or in your home right now when it comes to mealtimes, right? So there are things in a family that we all love to eat and then some things that we really don't like to eat. And it can sometimes be quite a challenge to get a meal out for your family where everybody enjoys every single thing on their plate. And so if your home is like my home with my two small kids, uh, the kind of foods that they love to eat seems to change on the hour. And so something that could regularly happen and regularly does happen in my home is come around dinner time, the kids can kind of smell what I'm cooking, and especially with my uh, strong-willed, uh, very independent daughter, she smells and sees what we're cooking, and she's like, yes, Dad, you're cooking my favorite pasta. And not two minutes later, she looks down at the bowl and wails in tears, but you put onions in it. And then that can change with so many different ingredients. But, you know, we look down and we can look at a plate of food and go, I love that, I love that, I love that, I love that. Oh, I don't like that so much. Guys, the sermon this morning is going to be a little bit like that. And I want to warn you up front. Because we have been enjoying some incredible life-giving teaching uh, around the gospel. And all these beautiful facets about it. And the series that we're doing is called Beautiful Collision. This bit of oxymoron about how when the beautiful gospel intersects our lives, there's so much change that happens. When it collides with us, we are not the same. And we have been rejoicing and celebrating the deep, rich teaching of the cross and celebrating all that Jesus has done for us when he went to the cross in our place for us. But some of the applications and especially with what we're going to be looking at this morning, or maybe not so enjoyable. Some of these applications are a little bit harder to swallow and a little bit harder to digest. But nonetheless, this is God's word, and we have to hear all 
that he says, and especially all of the applications of the cross in our lives. So with that being said, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 14. But I want to just set this up a little bit because, you know, it's always hard when we're diving into a passage of Scripture. Uh, I I don't want to um, miss maybe some of the context or some of what was going on so that we can take God's Word and apply it correctly to our lives. 2 Corinthians is a letter that was written by someone called the Apostle Paul. He was kind of the guy leading the charge for the church at this time, going from town to town and telling people about Jesus, starting churches, and then he would write letters to them of encouragement. And Corinth is a town in ancient Greece, and uh, this is the second letter to this church, but there's evidence that suggests that this might have even been letter number four. What that really means is there was a lot of back and forth between this church and Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, that kind of big main leader of the church at the time, because they were really struggling with some things. This church didn't have it all together. This church really battled with a number of things. But what he would do, and what we're going to see, and what we're going to read, is how he would take the gospel and apply it to their situations, because the gospel pretty much is the answer for everything that we are going through. To take what Jesus has done, and and, and this passage that we're going to read is an example of what a beautiful collision looks like. What looks like for the gospel to intersect our lives and affect us every single day. And so it is good for us to realize that and how Paul and and most of the New Testament takes the outworking of the gospel and applies it to all of these situations in our lives. So we're going to read from verse 14. And so please, won't you follow with me? Not from verse 14. From, yeah, from verse 14, we'll read from there. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. This actually happens to be my personal number one verse in all of Scripture, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. During this series of A Beautiful Collision, we have been taking 
language that Scripture uses to define what is the gospel. And we have been taking a, kind of like a diamond has many facets. And you look at the diamond and you move it this way and you look at this angle and you go, that's so beautiful and that's so beautiful. And you, you change it and you look at a different facet of it. And so we have been taking out some of this language to unpack the richness of the gospel uh, for us. And uh, the key aspect that we're going to be dealing with this morning is Jesus is our reconciliation. And so that is kind of, I know, they're big words. We can't do anything about it because that is what the word is. But the component that Paul is bringing out in this passage is the facet of the gospel, this reconciliation. The fact that there was a time when we were alienated from God. We were enemies of God the way the scripture uses it. We were dead in our sins. There was a time where we could not be in the presence of God because of our sin. And what reconciliation is, is God dealing with that so that we can once again be with him. I love the Old Testament story that really brings out this component of the gospel. I think this particular story sets up the idea of reconciliation for us so well. And that is the story in Genesis 32 for your reference between two brothers. You might know the story well, Jacob and Esau. Two brothers, one brother stole the other brother's birthright. And as a result, there was a permanent rift in the family. They separated. Many, many years later, Jacob and his family are going to need to cross into the territory and face his brother. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Uh, he's expecting there to be some significant conflict so much so that he actually sends kind of his wife and his kids all ahead of him just in case there is kind of conflict and he'll hear about it and maybe escape. And it's in that instance that he meets the angel of the Lord, which we know is probably Jesus before the advent of him coming to us permanently. And he wrestles all through the night with this angel of the Lord and after that, he heads across and he deals with his brother and there is reconciliation. What I love so much about that is there's so much of the gospel in there. Because we know that Jesus wrestled all through the nights when he was in the garden before his crucifixion. We know that he was wrestling all through the night with the Father as he was going to bring reconciliation between us and the Father. And as he had to cross into that space, Jesus goes outside of the city carrying the cross as he goes and deals with our sin before the Father. In that moment, and again, this is just such a powerful image to bring out this aspect of the gospel reconciliation, is the moment Jesus on the cross cries out, it is finished. We know in the temple there was this a big curtain that kept us separate from God. The very uh, holy place where the high priest could only go once a year to offer sacrifice of sin. And if you went in there with sin, you died instantly. The moment Jesus cried out, it was finished. It's miraculously torn from top to bottom. And we know that that was God 
removing the barrier that kept us from going into his very presence because of our sin. Look at verse 19. It's there up on the screen. This is what reconciliation is. That God reconciled the world to himself in Christ. Reconciliation is this. Not counting people's sins against them. This is so significant for us. Because here's something that we can't get away from. Is I know what my sin issues have been in my life. And everyone sitting here, you know what yours are and have been. And so when we read these words, God is not counting people's sins against them. I have to realize and go, Jesus has forgiven me of that and of that. And when I, when I did that and when I thought that, he doesn't count it against me. And the reality of what that means is I can now genuinely enter into the presence of God. Because he does not count my sin against me. We read in scripture, uh, all this language, that we were enemies of God. Now we are adopted, we sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ. This change that has happened when we are reading in this passage in 2 Corinthians, we are now new creations. The old has gone and the new has come. Before Christ, we could never, ever be in the presence of God. There were physical barriers that stopped people from going into his presence. But because of Jesus, who reconciled the world to God, our sins are not counted against us anymore. And so we enter into his presence. We have been reconciled to God. Just incredible, this doctrine of reconciliation. And as beautiful as that is, and we love that, and, and this is something for us to celebrate. Because again, the more I've been thinking about this, this is something very tangible. There's a hang of a list of things that God no longer counts against me because of Jesus. And this was absolutely nothing I could do on my own. All the sins that I did to people were also sins directly against God. I was guilty of every single one of them and could not change where I stood before God because of that sin. I was guilty. Again, Scripture says the punishment of sin is death. There were very real consequences to my sin which because of Jesus are not counted against me as Jesus was on the cross in my place as he became sin and died the death that I should have died. And that is not counted against me anymore so that I can be a son of God, be part of the kingdom, call him my father, have genuine relationship with him. But now with that comes some very real consequences, some uh, implications for you and me, which we need to address this morning. So if you've still got your Bibles open in 2 Corinthians, let's reread from verse 19 all the way to 21, where we see where these implications lie. So verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is where the collision, uh, this beautiful aspect of the gospel affects our lives on a daily basis. We have experienced, those of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, this reconciliation. If we have surrendered our lives to him, if we have trusted Jesus with our lives, he does not count our sin against us. And as a result, we carry the message of reconciliation with us every single place we go. Again, let's just quickly remind ourselves, we were dead in our sin, enemies, moved to being adopted sons and daughters, co-heirs with Jesus, uh, guilty of sin, no longer guilty. Our sin's not counted against us. In fact, we have the righteousness of Christ. So here is one of the major implications. Our first one, and we'll just pull it out of Luke 6.37. It's going to be up on the screen. Here's something very interesting about the byproduct or implication of reconciliation. So verse 37 in Luke 6 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. And here's the most important bit. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So there's something very interesting about the reconciliation and the forgiveness that we receive from the Father is that it means that we need to live in a place of forgiveness with other people. That we cannot experience reconciliation and the forgiveness of Jesus having him not count our sins against us if we are still counting people's sin that have been done towards us. So we can't experience and expect God to not count our sins against us if we are still counting people's sins against them. Jesus um, sets this up for us with the story of uh, the unforgiving debtor. And so the story goes like this, as Jesus tells it, there was a man who had racked up some significant debt against the king. And when we say significant, we're talking billions upon billions, something that was physically impossible to pay back. And uh, he was arrested, and he was brought before the king, and he said to the king, king, I cannot pay this back. Can you have mercy on me and cancel my debts? And the king goes, okay. And he cancels this financial debt that this guy could not pay back. Uh, there was reconciliation. He no longer counted the debt against this man. It cost the king because this was a significant amount of money. But this guy walked free from the room with the king, not having this debt over his head anymore. He walked out free. And while he's walking on the road, the story goes, he met someone who owed him a, a small amount of money. And he asked the guy for it, and he said he can't pay it. And he, 
the scripture says he kind of throttled him and had him thrown into jail. And this angered the king. See, because the expectation, and this is such an incredible aspect of the gospel, and it shows the gospel every single day, is because God no longer counts my sins done against him. He doesn't hold me guilty for my sin anymore. One of the most visual displays of the gospel to the world around us is when I do the same to people who have wronged me and hurt me in my life. When I can say to them, I forgive you. I don't count that sin anymore. This is a big deal. Now, what I understand about this, and please, we are not in any way uh, trying to downplay hurts and pain that has happened in your life. But the reality is that if we can't forgive, have we experienced the forgiveness and reconciliation of Jesus? And this is something that we do need to ask ourselves and actually look inward to go, do I have an issue with unforgiveness? Am I still holding um, people to some things that were done against me? So here are some diagnostic questions that I want us to just read through and write them down uh, because I think this will be helpful to figure out where we are with this. Uh, Question one, do you continually replay in your mind with detail a negative past event and a dislike for the personal persons involved? Do you find yourself continually referring to someone in a pejorative fashion because of some past hurts? Do you intentionally avoid certain Persons, because you find yourself becoming continually annoyed and angry in their presence? Do you find that your dislike for someone is growing over time? Eventually, bitterness is going to seep in because it's going to be through our words that our hearts are revealed. Now, I have had to do some forgiving in my past, and it is painful. It's tough when we have been hurt physically, when we have been hurt um, emotionally, when we have been hurt financially by people. And I have had to journey with the Lord to come to a place where where I have uh, sought reconciliation and uh, have extended forgiveness. The way I've done this is by allowing these scriptures uh, to dwell in my heart And especially to highlight in my own life what God has forgiven me of. When I think and I need to process forgiveness and I have been hurt, I go before the Lord and I ask Him. And I pray things like this. Remind me of what I have been forgiven of. Remind me about how much I sinned against you and you alone, God. And how I could not pay my debts. And how, Jesus, you took my sin. How, Jesus, you were in my place doing what I could not do. You lived the life I could not live. You died the death that I should have died. And as a result, I have been reconciled to the Father. 
Just help me remember that so that I can get to a place where I no longer count this person's sin against me. And it's hard. And it's painful. But it is a massive act of faith. Because when we pray like that and when we posture ourselves like that before the Lord, dealing with this pain, what we're saying is, God, I trust you even more is I trust you in this situation. I've been hurt. But God, I'm trusting you because I'm not gonna take vengeance because vengeance is yours. I'm not gonna try to get even because you didn't get even with me with my son. I'm gonna put my pain, I'm gonna put my hurt, I'm gonna put that to you and I'm gonna ask you to heal. I'm gonna ask you to restore and I'm gonna ask you to display the fullness of the gospel in my life. And when we walk by faith like that, I think we really start to see how the gospel impacts every aspect of our life. And you see, when we're doing that, we're also then avoiding sin in our own life because one of the things that unforgiveness does is it creeps in a sin cycle in our own life. And I'm aware of that because when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, one of the lines is, lead us not to temptation as we forgive those uh, or lead us not into sin, into sin and uh, as we forgive those who have sinned against us, that particular line, while we need to get to a place of forgiveness, is what happens is, if I'm not in a place, or if I'm living in unforgiveness, some of those questions that were up on the screen, what happens is, is anger starts to creep in, bitterness starts to creep in, malice starts to creep in, and then I'm having these thoughts and, and these actions that are being driven by unforgiveness. And the byproduct of unforgiveness is always going to lead us into actions of sin. But when I move to a place of forgiveness, I'm starting to live in a place of peace. And I'm honoring the Lord more with my life and not um, in a place of continual sin. I just want to point out something that reconciliation doesn't mean that I need to go back into a place where I'm continually being sinned against. For example, if what your sin has been is somebody has been abusing you, reconciliation doesn't mean you have to go back into that place of abuse. If you are being abused, if you are in an abusive relationship, you need to get out. Reconciliation means that you can forgive them, but you need to stay away and be in a safe place. And so if you are being sinned against, you have every right to get out of that relationship and not continue to experience that. But what Scripture calls us to is to not hold anger towards them, but forgive as we have been forgiven. I just want to prep you now that because we know so many of us have experienced pain and that unforgiveness or forgiveness is such a hard step for us to take, that there will be a time um, post the sermon where you can come and receive prayer from someone in our ministry team who can help you in some of the things that you are struggling with. And then the final implication that I want to touch on this morning is where it talks about how we are Christ's ambassadors and how we carry the message of reconciliation of uh, telling people to be reconciled to God. 
This is something that is so important to us. As much as we need to personally forgive people that have wronged us or sinned against us, there is a whole world out there who doesn't know what they have in Jesus Christ, and we have experienced that. This is one of the most uh, uncomfortable things for people to speak about is the responsibility that we have to share with other people about what we have received in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, people will go, Craig, that's not for me. Craig, no, 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 no. I don't, no, no. I'll, I'll just live a good life. I'll be kind. I'll, but my mouth is closed. I don't tell people about Jesus. That's, that's what you're doing right now, Craig. You, 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 you've got the mic. That's your job. You know, that's for like super mature Christians. But here's what we do, right? We go away on holiday. You've been on leave. You get back into the office and uh, you walk in and people say, how was your holiday? I can't really talk to you about that. You know, I don't, I, I don't, know, how to, um, I don't know how to talk to you about um, a holiday. Okay, like that's absurd, right? You talk to people about your holiday. Oh, how's your family going? I don't really know how to talk to you. We have conversations with people every single day, right? We know how to talk to people. Now, some of us, it is a little bit harder if we're a little bit more introverted and a bit more shy. But even then, we know how to use words to describe things that we have experienced in our lives. Okay, we just need to say to someone, hey, where do I go for uh, the best sushi in Johannesburg? Hey, you're going to have no issues telling me your best experience or, or where's the best place to go to holiday on the south coast? Many of us have been there. So you're going to give me your best experience of what you've lived through. We know how to do that. But for some reason, when it comes to the gospel, the strangest thing happens. When we move from being outsiders to insiders, when we move from being enemies of God to being adopted sons and daughters and co-heirs with Christ, we somehow forget about every single other person who is still on the outside and haven't heard and experienced what we have experienced. We somehow lose sight of what's around us and only focus in on, on ourselves and our relationship and the Christians that we've met and forget that there are people literally who are going to die today without having heard the words, Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to know you. Jesus died on the cross for you. There is reconciliation for you, and you can know the fullness of a relationship with God right now today. Man, I think about this example. It's like carrying a cure for a disease. I won't name any particular one, but imagine that you have the cure, and you just keep quiet about it and watch everyone around you perish. What will we say of a person like that? We wouldn't say very kind words. This isn't to heap guilt on you, to motivate you to do something. But let's just think about this for a second. I have been forgiven everything. I deserved death. Rightly, because I sinned against God. The one who spoke the universe into being. I sinned against him and him alone. I had no way of changing my circumstances before him. But Jesus stepped in on my behalf. He died so that I could live. 
His death means that my sin is forgiven, that God counts none of that against me. He called me enemy. He now calls me son, and I'm a co-heir with Jesus. How can I keep quiet about that? How could I not want people to experience the truth that has collided with my life in such a dramatic way? Those two aspects are such tangible outworkings of the gospel that I could forgive anyone who sins against me. And I would love people so much that I would want them to be reconciled to God just as I have been reconciled to God. I'm his ambassador. You know, we wear our sports team's tops. We love to share with people all that is good that we think is worth hearing about. But when you have experienced the fullness of the reconciliation work of Jesus, we're not the same. We become his ambassadors. He makes the appeal through us for everyone to be reconciled to God. And so I want to encourage you with those two things. These are not easy applications of the gospel. It's definitely not our favorite things to hear on a Sunday morning. Craig, I have to go forgive people and I'll tell people about Jesus. That's a thank you. <laughs> thank you. But how can we not when we realize the beauty of the gospel in our lives. I want to pray for us. Jesus, we were completely hopeless without you. We stood no chance. We faced death. But Jesus, you stepped in. You died so that I could live. You, Jesus, reconciled me to the Father no longer an enemy, but I'm a son. I could not know God, but now I call him Father. That was because of you. Jesus, I just want to pray for anybody here this morning, anybody that's listening, that if they have been hurt, if they have been wronged, if they've been sinned against, and they are battling with that and cannot come to a place of forgiveness. Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would just start to move in their lives. That you would do that work that would allow them to step out in faith and to take that step and trust you with that so that they can bring reconciliation. And then Jesus, I pray for us as a church. There is a whole city of Johannesburg that needs to hear you that needs to hear about what you have done. And Holy Spirit, would you give us courage? Holy Spirit, would you fill us with boldness so that we could be your ambassadors as you called us to be in all the places that we find ourselves in? That people in our places of influence would experience the saving power of the gospel. And that we would be those people, I love Jesus how your word says that you are making the appeal through us, that that would become true of every single one of us, that we would be living out and carrying your message of reconciliation. And so Jesus, we just ask that you would do that in our lives.
until we say amen.